You're listening to the Terminal City FC Podcast, part of the Area 51 Sports Network. Talking Whitecaps, Canada, Europe, and all the big stories across the world of football. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of the Terminal City FC podcast, part of the Area 51 Sports Network. My name is Josh Ray, and as always, I'm joined by Nathan Durek. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Happy to have a bit of a long weekend here. Yep, bit of a family day long weekend here in British Columbia. And, well, what do you know? Whitecap season is just over a week away. We're done, uh, done the preseason pretty much. We're coming back to Vancouver and uh, one more intramural game and we're, we're set. Yeah, so the preseason is pretty much over. There's that blue versus white scrimmage at BC Place, which is sold out tomorrow. And the Whitecaps, their last preseason game was against LA Galaxy. It was a 4-2 win. For the White Caps and Brian White got a hat trick. Not too bad, eh? That's the sort of uh, form that we want to see him in uh, heading into like, you know, early midseason. But if he's there right now, let's take it. Yeah, and he better have this on prefer as my, pretty much the whole season. And the connection with Ryan Gold is still gelling, even it's preseason, but it's still great to see. Yeah, it's done really good. And the thing is, is in that game, Gold was only on for the first 45 minutes. Baldissimo came on afterwards to, uh, just to give, you know, give the, the kids some minutes. So White was still able to do this with only having, uh, you know, his uh, his go-to guy for uh, for the first half of the game. Yeah, which, which, is, which is even better. We obviously didn't see this because they weren't really streaming the game. At Message all. to the Whitecaps. But um, there are some clips on the Whitecaps Twitter feed. And the Whitecaps have been playing the preseason with a 3-1-4-2 formation. Which, which is interesting because last season it was mostly a 3-4-3. But a 3-4-1-2... Again, the three at the back. There's one attacking midfielder. We got two up front. And wait, no, no, no. One defensive midfielder, four like people on the attack, and two two, two strikers uh, on top. Yeah. I think what this tells me first is, number one, your wingers better be absolute endurance machines. They are going to be running the length of that pitch non-stop throughout 90 minutes. I think we're going to be very, very lucky to see our wingers last an entire game. Maybe if, you, if you're if you young and you got a little bit of legs, like a Javain Brown. But uh, that I think that's where we're going to see a lot of fluidity when it comes to the Whitecap side. The other thing is having two at the front, I think, is interesting. I think it, this is Sartini really trying to get Cavallini back in the fold. Uh, give him some minutes, give him some consistency so that he can get back up to what he believes his level of form is. Now, the other thing is, and it was kind of interesting because you were talking about some of the clips that were uh, online there, Josh, on Twitter, 
is one of the Whitecaps pickups uh, during the Super Draft, our third pick, Giovanni Aguilar. He actually scored in the last two games in, uh, yep. in California. And it's kind of funny, but if you listen closely in, uh, in this last game when he scored his goal, you can hear one of the other Whitecaps players. And uh, there's been a few rumors that it might have been Brian White uh, screaming to, to the bench to say, sign that guy. So I think uh, some of these players, uh, players that you, when you and I talked about uh, during the Super Draft, our episode, we weren't too sure about, but they seem to be making an impression. Yeah, and that's that's great to see. And so the, the three one four two formation, just looking here from an article from Joshua Griffith, it's that Vanny's main reason is to be more offensive. And well, it's definitely offensive. That's true. That's true. And if this works throughout the entire season, you might as well stick with it. And that Ryan Gold on the wing as can really help. And having two strikers up front provides more offense. And like you said, could help Lucas Cavallini get going again. Though I, I would say that my only concerns with this are is that we have a young and still relatively inexperienced goalkeeper. What that means is that our back three are going to have to be very, very intelligent. They're going to have to know when they can push up, when they can drop back, and they're going to have to really rely on that linchpin defensive midfielder position. We lost a few midfielders this year, you know, with Mikel going to, to Italy and elsewhere and whatnot. So it's going to definitely give other players an opportunity to step up. You might see Owasu uh, take a bit of a uh, some time there, but... Uh, my only concern is, you know, if they start getting some balls behind our back line, our, yeah, it, it is so unbelievably attacking. It's going to make for an, some exciting football, but I think we might start seeing some pretty high score lines going both ways. Yeah, and the, the back line has really got to gotta do their job and help, help out Thomas Sal. And you know, let's assume that they're going to go 3-1-4-2 formation, and let's kind of predict what, the opening night uh, starting 11 could look like against the Columbus crew. So when goal, I'm going with the obvious Thomas Hassel. It's got to be Hassel. There's no one else. Yes, we did sign a bomber uh, to a, to another contract to be our backup. Yes. There's still the possibility of a goalkeeper coming in still to the Whitecaps organization at some time, but right now it's Hassel starter for, you know, the foreseeable future. Uh, so we got the back line. I assume that the Whitecaps are going to want to play Tristan Blackmon on the right side. Uh, I would say more than likely, yeah. Do you think he starts? Maybe, but um, we could, they could also go for for Jake Ner- Nerwinski on that side because that's where he's more suited. Yep. And you know what? Uh, as a center back, he did show promise last year. Now, again, that was having wing backs that could kind of, you know, cover him if he was, he was needed. Playing with uh, wings further up the pitch means that there's more responsibility if you're going to be a, a center back on, on either side. We'll see if uh, Nowinski has legs. The thing is, is he does come from a, a, a fullback position. So he yeah. does know how to cover those sides. But I, I go with with Blackmon there because he has a lot of experience playing the right side. So at center back, you can go with Florian Youngworth. 
Uh, yep, I, hmm, I, uh, in, in the middle of the, of the back line, I'm almost going to put in Veselinovich. I would put uh, Veselinovich on the left side, but that, that, also, that also works. Yeah. Uh, the one, I, I do agree with you with putting Youngworth in the middle. Uh, he's a bit of, a, bit of a quarterback for that back line. You know, he yeah, definitely uh, has the experience and he can kind of marshal the other two where, where he feels they should be. Uh, the thing is, is, you know, Blackman's got that experience uh, being in the league uh, a number of years as well. But uh, I agree with you with Blackman being on the right. Um, yeah, that, that's Linovich, Youngworth. I don't know. I'm kind of, I, I think Youngworth has a, a, a loud enough mouth that he can do that from any position. Yeah, uh, Nerwinski also played pretty well on the left side, even though it's not his natural side. You can also put mm. slot in Christian Gutierrez on the left side. Yeah, you can. Um, Gutierrez, uh, you know, I'm not too sure about Gutierrez as uh, a center back yet. Maybe. Uh, I think I, again, more he of a left struggled back. last year with injuries. So, uh, you know, yeah. I'm willing to give him the chance, but I'm not too sure about him yet. You could come off the bench, for example, yes. on opening day. That I'll say yes. And then it'll get interesting with the holding defensive. I guess you want to call it a holding defensive midfielder. Yeah. Because Whitecaps have some some options. Well, the one interesting option is the one that we just picked up in uh, Sebastian Barrelter. Yep, that's what I was thinking. He he's an option, but I yeah. don't see him starting. The only other one, yeah. Uh, the thing is, is that position is tough because you can put Owasu back there, but I almost yeah. want Owasu a little bit further up the park. Yeah, I have Owasu. I have Owasu. Um. Up the field. Yeah. You know what? And so for midfield, I'll go with the captain, Russell Tybert. The, that, yeah, that you know what? I, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. He, uh, Barrett's, he can bow. He's, again, not really an offensive guy. He can win tackles, can get the ball at the field. Well, the one thing you and I talked about, and I did a deep dive into Tybert last year, is uh, under Sartini was his, uh, his tackling. Uh, his intelligence and his passing uh, ability to move the ball uh, with forward passes increased dramatically. So putting a player like that that can close down quickly and transition the ball back up the pitch, yeah, I think he's a good choice. For the wings, I have on the left, Christian Dahomey and Diver Caicedo. Two, especially Dahomey, a very creative playmaker. Yeah. And Caicedo has... Uh, played there before. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I love seeing Dahomey at the at the front of the pitch, but I think that just shows his versatility. The other thing is, is you can also take a look at some of our new players that we haven't really been able to see a whole lot of, like Pedro Vite up there too. Yeah, he could. Um, He's more of yeah. a center of the park guy, but I think yeah, you know, I agree. He, can, he can go on the side there. It's just whether or not his legs can run back and forth. And we have to remember with Sartini's uh, formation that you just talked about, the players that we put on the wings have to be defensive as well. That's the thing. So I, at that point, you're looking like also a Javane Brown. Javane Brown. If I, that's also another, I was debating, like maybe they should put Brown there because he's more of a defensive guy than Caicedo. I guess it, it depends if you want to go all out or if you, you want, want to go on all out attack. A bit of defense. Yeah. And Dahomey is more suited for the attack too. So yeah. Guys, you can put in Brown. 
the two. Yeah, I think I might put in Brown there just, you know, if because if we need to, you know, he can get back and we can turn that back three to a back four. The two midfielders, we mentioned Owusu, uh, him and, of course, oh. Ryan Gold. I know I said earlier him on the wing. I misspoke. Um, that the, the attacking midfielder role is like the number 10, like a Bruno Fernandez type role. That's Ryan Gold. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I like Gold in the middle of the park too, but I, I like him in the middle of the park and then just to say, go where needed. You know? Yeah, well, Give him the creative freedom to roam. He's a very creative guy, and yep. if you put even if you put him on the wing, he's he's still going to use that creativity. Absolutely. And then we got Owusu, who we've spoke about is also a pretty good defensive midfielder, but up the pitch, he can like help stop he can the counters. Slot in behind Gold, yeah, and slot right? in behind Gold and help stop the counters and start the attack for the Whitecaps. Yep. Of course, and then up, up front, front, I think we've got a, a one-two punch. We already know who that is. We already know who that is. Cavallini and Brian White. Yeah. And you know what? If those two can find a partnership up there, you have Gold making uh, the back of the triangle. That, that It has such a potential to be devastating. I mean, we saw what the one-two punch of White and Gold can do. If Cavallini starts playing on his day, you know, he finds his form when he was back in Mexico. He is healthy. He gets consistent minutes. I mean, he's a big body. He is tough to knock off that ball. I mean, the, the level of control that he can have and then distribute to other players or turn around and, uh, and take a shot himself. I, I, w- I want to see the Cavallini that I expected, and I'm hoping this might let us do that. Yeah, I must mention Cavallini has had rotten luck with injuries, and rotten luck. partnership with White could be what could get him going, like – the guy that the Whitecaps signed from Mexico who can put the ball in the net, maybe this unlocks uh, that this is a Cavallini rebirth season. You know what? And uh, apparently Cavallini came into the training camp as one of the most fit guys uh, right from the, from day one. So I think that's his headspace, right? His headspace right. is to be on the ground running. So the Whitecaps season awards, like for player of the year, Max Crapo won it last year, obviously no longer with the Whitecaps. No. So I'm going for the Whitecaps player of the year. I predicting it'll be Ryan Gold. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be Ryan Gold. Uh, you know, you, you might see uh, a bit of uh, the, uh, the the striker love when it comes to that if if white continues his form and he starts you know putting in as much as he did in a full season rather than just a half season i you could get some mentions there as well but i think it has to be gall just for his visibility on the pitch and the the magic that he creates playmaking the ability the passes that's He's, that's why i pick Gaul. it's also his his uh you know, off the pitch uh, behavior as well. I mean, he's, he's very active on social media, engaging with fans. He does so in, in a very calm, playful way. Like he, he, he seems to be very unassuming, which I think is very endearing to a fan base. So I, yeah, I, it, there's a lot of upside when it comes to him. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a good ambassador of the club. Agreed. And top goal scorer, I predict, will will be Brian White, which shouldn't 
be like by the end of the season if that happens that shouldn't be a surprise no Unless, no, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, it's I. There's other possibilities there, but for me, they're long shots. And there's also an award for most promising player. Oh, this go, that is it a was, tough one. It's a tough one. Caicedo won it last year. Uh, you know what? I'm looking at the the youth of yeah, our team. Yeah, that's that's what that's. Right? I think that's what the youth. Um, the award is for like someone yeah. young who steps up. You know what? I want it to go to like say a Pedro Vite or a Javane Brown, but yeah, just because I, I want this team to be to to not forget their defense, right, and to actually be strong defensively because they are going so far all out attack. I'm also going to throw in there that I would hope someone like a Sebastian Berhalter would uh, step up to that role too. That's. I think that's who I'll go with. It's a kind of a wild card, but it is. But also, I mean, defensive midfielders, you know, we don't get a, there's not a lot of love there. Yeah. Right. Right. It's all about the guys to be put about the attack, but defensive midfielders. You are a good defensive player. Your job shouldn't be noticeable. It's kind of the way it is, right? Like you should be able to do your job and people. You know, you, you think back on a career. You don't think back on a moment. And I, this one's a little more made up. Like, the Whitecaps unsung hero, a guy who don't expect to, to step up a lot, but he does anyway. Uh, another tough one I've been thinking about. Uh, I think I'll that go. That is a tough one. You, you go with someone like Brown. Or a Wusu, or you could go Owusu with pretty much anyone. You could um, even go with Sal if he if he finds his form. If he finds his form, Hassal would be there too. I'm also thinking of other players where you know what they might not get all the plaudits, but if they step up and do their job well, uh, it, it can definitely change the the dynamic of a team. And I'm thinking of a guy right now that has a bunch of experience with the Whitecaps. He's trying out a, a new position. If if he continues his form as he did last year, uh, I think it could be a, a statement year for him as well. And I'm thinking Jake Nowinski. Ah, it's a interesting pick. I'll go. It, you know what? It's again. We were just talking with defensemen. You know, you, they're not that noticeable, but when they do their job well, that's what should happen, right? It shouldn't be noticeable. So I'm gonna go with that. You know, just a. I don't know. Throw my defensive love out there. I'll go with defensive love. I'll go with Vizalinovic. Ah, good call. Yeah. Because last season, he made some good defensive plays too. Wasn't too noticeable, but did his job well. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing we need to, th- we, uh, and I, I kind of glossed over this, I wasn't thinking about it, but for that back line is we also have Eric Godoy still. Yep. Right? So he can slot in there. We also, we, you know, we haven't talked about, uh, and we'll talk about later with uh, this fiasco with uh, Kyle Alexander. Yeah, we'll talk to that. Right? That. So, I mean, there are other players in there that gives this team, uh, you know, dynamism, right? Like, they can switch it up. They have depth. They, uh, they have opportunities. Yeah, speaking of Kyle Alexander, he apparently been going through some, some visa issues. Over yeah, the these issues have go back almost uh, back until when uh, the Whitecaps were still playing in Salt Lake City. 
uh, back last year. Uh, the visa issues stem from differences of work permits between Canada and the United States. He has a permit for the United States. He doesn't for Canada yet. Yeah, and just a few days ago, it was... He was not traveling back to Vancouver. Oh, he won't be traveling back to Vancouver at the end of preseason. And he's dealt with injuries last season, too. So... yeah. You know what? Uh, what I'm hoping is I'm hoping that this isn't just a similar situation to what uh, Elliot Nan had yeah, hope- trying to get a work permit for all of our games that were in the states, right? I right. don't see why that should be a problem. He's from I mean Alexander's from Brazil. That's where he's been kind of hanging out while he's been waiting for this whole debacle to unfold. But it's dragging on. It's been weeks. Yeah, not much has really been said over the past few days, other than he can't go back to Vancouver until he gets that sorted out and hope this doesn't become another Ali Adnan situation. Yeah. Uh, again, I think that uh, the Whitecaps are well off right now uh, while, while they're waiting for this to unfold. But, you know, if it starts getting uh, too long, I think at that point, just for the benefit of the player, you almost have to think about moving him along. Yeah, I, I don't want to go there yet. I don't want to go there. You know, I, years old. worst case scenario. Yeah, 22 years old, still a promise. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And also be that defensive midfielder. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't know if that would be where I would initially. Well, think I, of it, I wouldn't put it yeah. there. But, yeah. But it's, it's an ideal thought. Fair enough. So, in other news, uh, oh, let's, before we talk about that, well, uh, Talk about which storylines were cited for uh, getting into the season. And of course, the big one is a full year of Vanny Sartini. Full year of Vanny Sartini and a full year playing in Vancouver for our home stadium. Yeah. Full year of white and gold. Yeah. Um, Hassal stepping up. Hassal stepping up. And uh, I guess my other thing was please stay healthy. <laughs> yeah. Young players like Vite, Burhalter, hopefully Alexandre if he gets that visa issue sorted out. Baldissimo. Yep. All so, the guys that we just picked up from the draft. We did we talked about Aguilar, you know, we've got uh, a couple of others. There's so many, like there's there's veterans, there's youth. It's a mixture of young and old for the squad. Which is nice. It's a, I don't know, it's kind of a nice feeling heading into the season right now. There's a, there's a more optimism at this time of year than I would say there has been in the previous few. So I guess with that, the Whitecaps also revealed I, is the new kit for the 2022 season and the hoop is back, everyone. It just the hoop looks is back. Yeah. It's I a, think it's. Beats out the 2016 kit because this is, uh, this is this looks so nice. The hoop is back for the first time since 2010, and the new slogan is "This city, not the village anymore." It's this city. You know what? Uh, I think. The, uh, first of all, I, I, lo- I love this design too. Uh, it's the hoop, but it's simple. Uh, yeah. They've gone to a, a much simpler color scheme. 
I, I like the dark with uh, the white hoop, almost like a, a reverse retro jersey, which I got to say, when it comes to the NHL, I hated their reverse retro jersey. So I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to see it working for the Whitecaps. But I will say, in general, if you take a look at all the kits that have come out for MLS clubs this year, they all seem to have gone to a much sleeker, minimalist, very professional design. I kind of across the board, I I'm really liking what has come out this year. Yeah, just taking a look, it's like a dark navy blue bell in the middle. The sponsor white with white in the middle, the white hoop collar, some white, like the if white. You remember in previous right, years yeah, with sleep. the hoop, is it also had a, a bit of a lining with red? I'm really happy yeah. that that's gone. I didn't. I did not like that. I, I thought it was fine, but it's better without it. Yeah. You got Vancouver oh. on the back, like right above the name. like, And the, the crest looks so good on it. It's, yeah, it's pretty sharp. I think this this might be their best um, kit in MLS history. Yeah, this beats out the 2016 Sea to Sky kit. It, I it, like it, the Sea to Sky, but uh, this, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one. This just looks like it, it's it's very classic, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a mixture of the young, uh, of the new, and the old. So yeah, like a reverse retro. Yep. Except it's not doesn't look like Sprite can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, <laughs> or like too much orange. Too oh, don't don't talk to me about too much orange. It's. And let's just with them, but when they came out, whoop, there it is. Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, I think they've hit a home run with this. Uh, the general response has seemed to be overwhelmingly positive. Um, yeah. I, I think it's going to be a, a fun uh, design to see on the pitch. Yeah. And I expect this to sell at the Whitecaps store in Gastown and at games. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or of course online. And really, by the, t- by the time we do our episode next week, it'll be like just a mere few days before the season begins for the Whitecaps. And then before you know it, we'll, we will be talking about Whitecaps games. This uh, offseason has actually seemed shorter than most. I'm not too yeah. sure why. Maybe it's just because, uh, you know, I, I was we ended the season on such a, a positive note for the Whitecaps that I just couldn't wait for it to start again. But... Yeah, I've been raring to go ever since uh, we ended back November, December. Yeah, it's. I guess it also feels shorter because the Whitecaps actually made the playoffs this year. And yeah, I know it was they were out in the first round, but there's excitement with the Caps again. We just need to see it. I think uh, preseason has shown. Uh, uh, they're they're starting off on the right foot, all right. They uh, yes, not every team they played against was to the MLS uh, caliber, but you know we stepped up in LA, played a good game uh, to end that uh, that run. Uh, they got players that are healthy right now. We've got uh, a lot of our players back that have already that already kind of fit that core group of players. We talked about the difference between uh, veteran and and youth. Uh, you know what? And that, that's a good mix you, that you want to have. There are a lot of positive storylines going into game one 
in a what a week and a half, two weeks here. So yeah, I right now I'm at the point where I just want to see the I want to watch. I'm, yeah, I wanna, we're at the we're basically at the point where <laughs> we just want to watch the matches. We just want to go to BC Place and see the Whitecaps. Yeah. So uh, obviously next week we could probably do a more deep dive on where the Whitecaps could stand in the MLS standings, but we haven't done enough research on that yet. So we'll move on to the Canadian women's national team. We're back in action against England in Middlesbrough, and it was a 1-1 draw. Yeah, this is the beginning of, I believe it's the inaugural uh, Arnold Clark Cup. So there's a a bunch of teams that are involved, uh, Canada obviously being one of them. And uh, yeah, we ended up uh, going to a a 1-1 draw uh, for the first match against England. Yeah, and Janine Becky's wonder strike. That was a beautiful strike. Did you see that strike? Like just the way it curled from from the left. I didn't see the game, but I just saw some bits of it. I watched the game. It was, uh, oh, you know what? It's definitely not Canada's best game. Canada's missing quite a few players right now. Uh, A lot of the women's leagues are, you know, are getting back into their domestic leagues. Players weren't released. Uh, Unfortunately, Christine Sinclair is not with the team. Uh, uh, For those of you that know, her mother has just passed away. So she's back in Canada taking care of family affairs. Uh, But you know what? It is an opportunity for other players to step up. Um, They're going to have to find their form very, very quickly. Uh, This was a game that England could have very easily won. Uh, But Janine Becky steps up with a wonder strike. You know, a player that plays in England, knows a lot of these players, can't even get almost a sniff on her team with Man City. I'm hoping that, you know, this uh, kind of shows her domestic side what she is capable of. But I think credit in this, again, it's got to go to the back line. Keisha Buchanan, you know, players like that. They kept Canada in the game so that, you know, we had the opportunity to take that strike when it uh, manifested. Yeah, totally. And like the women's Canada soccer is set to hire a head head of women's professional soccer, apparently, too. Yeah, this is something that just came out earlier in the week. So it's a brand new position with uh, Canada soccer. Uh, Basically, it is... (coughs) They will, they're, they're going to chair a task force, right? So there's, there's a brand new task force created, uh, the Women's Professional Soccer Task Force, with the mandate to look for uh, the, the development of a sustainable women's professional league within Canada and to look for league operators that will follow the established minimum standards that have been set out for club licensing across the country. This is big news. It again, it's a it's a first step. Uh, this is a player or not a player. This is a position that once hired is going to have a lot of groundwork to do before anything happens. Uh, you know, we're starting from square one with this, but it's a step in the right direction. Uh, I think what this what this really does show is it it shows that. Canada soccer has made a decision. I don't think there are going to be any longer looking to put expansion teams in the NWSL in the United States. Cause I know that that's been talked about for five, six years about the possibility of that, 
but there's never really been an interest from the NWSL of moving to Canada, even though they have agreements about what to do with Canadian players in that league. Um, I think what this will do is this, first of all, it's a, it's a brand new professional league. It's the first of its kind that's professional in Canada for, for women in soccer. And, you know, it's, it's that top tier. It, it gives players a pathway through, you know, amateur and development leagues, through semi-pro leagues, up to being able to represent, you know, a city in Canada at the professional level. Just like, say, uh, a player would, you know, like Christine Sinclair in Portland or, you know, like all the women that we have playing uh, in, in England or France or Germany, right? You know, we... Uh, it's a long time coming. It's uh, something that should have happened years ago, but let's let's get this done. Yeah, there's been talk about a professional league here for years now, but it's obviously never materialized. Well, the the talk was always behind the scenes. It was yeah. uh, we. I mean, people that have been following soccer realize that you know this is not this is not a new conversation. This has been going on, like I said, for five, six years where there has been active movement has been talked about long before that. But when the women won the gold medal at the last uh, Olympics, that's where it started becoming uh, a mainstream conversation across Canada with, you know, the general public. Why does this not exist? If our women are winning, you know, the top international competitions in the land, why do we not have a league that allows them to do this, you know, every single competition that comes up? So now that that conversation has reached, I, I, what I believe is a critical mass, you know, it's no longer talk. Something has to be done. Yeah. And it's a, another step in that direction for a, for the growth in women's soccer in Canada by hiring a, a president who can lay that, lay out the roadmap to get that going. Yeah. And we got to remember that this is also in addition to the brand new uh, League 1 BC, which is a semi-pro league that has a men's and a women's division. We've got semi-pro leagues uh, for women in Ontario and Quebec. So having this, uh, a div, what uh, should be a Division 1 league, gives players in these semi-pro leagues a chance to progress even higher as well. Yeah, for sure. So on the other side, we'll head over to to Europe, talk about our clubs and some Champions League action. Let's do it. But we're for, before a word from some of our sponsors coming up next. Want to start your own podcast about sports or whatever? Great. Unsure how to get started? No problem. That's what Buzzsprout is for. The Abbott Discussers podcast uses Buzzsprout. It's quick and easy. And myself and thousands of other podcasters around the world use Buzzsprout. You'll get an awesome looking website. Plus, your show will be out on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and all other platforms. You'll also get ways to promote the show, detailed analytics and stats, and a whole lot more. But that's not all. If you signed up with a paid plan for Buzzsprout, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card. And it would also help support this show. It's easy. Just follow the link in the show notes. Buzzsprout makes podcasting fun and easy. Start your own today. Do you want to win some cash? Do you love sports betting? Then Bet99 is the place for you. It is a Canadian online betting website and app that allows you to bet on football matches or matches of any other sport. It also has an online casino. 
Bet99 is the official betting sponsor for the Terminal City FC podcast and the Area 51 Sports Network. Go to the Area 51 website, click betting, and sign up for a welcome offer of a 100% match up to your initial deposit of $600, as well as boosted odds for the teams that you care about the most. Bet99.com is Canada's premier place for sports betting and online casino games. Must be 19 plus to play, and please play responsibly. Okay, moving over to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. So Chelsea played in the Club World Cup in Abu Dhabi and beat Palmeiras from Brazil to one in extra time and are champions of the world. Hooray. Yep, only three <laughs> English clubs. That's all you get from me. Yeah, three English clubs have won the Club World Cup. Liverpool. Manchester United and now Chelsea. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's a, it's a nice one to add to the cabinet. It's not the biggest trophy in the world, but it's a nice one to add. It's huge, actually, in South America, especially with Brazil. Palmeiras fans. Ruined. not in South America. Though. Yeah, <laughs> the Palmeiras fans really wanted to win this, and that's why they look so devastated at the end. Yeah, well, I mean, Brazil and soccer. I mean, that's like religion there right i mean the amount when you take a look at a brazilian team you've got your state league you've got your national league you've got uh Comable, you've got uh the copa Libertadores. i mean the, the soccer is a year-round endeavor if you're going to be playing in brazil so you know you know football is life yeah football is life there in brazil it's bigger than what the nfl is to america and what hockey is to to hearing to, to us canadians it is. It is. I so mean, you know, it wasn't lost their lives over Brazilian soccer matches. Yeah, it's wasn't the best performance, especially in the first half when the attack looked so dull. But things got going in the second half, especially with Lukaku scoring in back-to-back games. Nice. Oh, that's a nice change. Good. Yeah, it's and it's a big game too. And people say, "Oh, Lukaku doesn't score in big games." There we go. He scored in the semifinal and in the final, the Club World Cup. There you go. Again, not the biggest competition, but it's still pretty big. Yep. You have to win the Champions League to enter this. And in the second half, there was a Thiago Silva handball, which a clear handball. Palmeira scored on the penalty. Chelsea, they're, I mean, at times it looked they looked slow, especially after the tying goal. But then Kai Havertz scores a penalty. I thought they would give that to to Lecoq, to Timo Werner, but apparently Kai Havertz can do penalties too. And he nailed it. And that's two big goals, the Champions League winner and the Club World Cup winner. So I guess he's got some clutch in his DNA. And Chelsea have pretty much won every major trophy in England and in Europe. So in other words, Chelsea have completed football, but there's one player in particular who has, and that's the captain, Cesar Aspilicueta. The thing he, and most Chelsea fans didn't think much of him when he came in 2012, he only came for like what, 8 million pounds or something from Marseille. uh, You know, the change you find in the bottom of uh, your pocket for when it comes to football. Yep. And he was never like highly touted. Oh, one of the best Premier League defenders in the game, like in 
in or like one of the best European defenders, but he always was underrated. He's got the leadership skills. He knows how to cross. He can assist. He can make great defensive plays, especially at the last minute. And he has won the Premier League twice, the FA Cup, a League Cup, Champions League, the Europa League twice, and now the Club World Cup and the Super Cup. So I guess he is one of the most decorated players in Chelsea's history and is already establishing himself, establishing himself as a legend at this club. And his contract's yeah. running out this year. So they need very to... quietly as a legend too. Like the, uh, when you talk about his history, about how he's you know been always kind of been there. He's been a fixture. He's played, but yeah. uh, you know what? Good on him. He's yeah. He's all when he he's always showed up in these types of games. He's always delivered, and he's been consistently a good defender. Again, not like world class or anything, but he's a. He's becoming a legend because he's won pretty much everything. I know it's a team sport, but he's been at the club for 10 years now, almost 10 years, and has made his way to become captain, and he's captain the team to some big trophies. And I, I have a feeling he wants to stay. Like He loves the club. He always talks about the love for Chelsea fans. He's kissed the badge many times. And there is, I haven't seen that much of a decline. I'm, I'm open to giving him another year and maybe another year to win the Premier League title before, I guess, he leaves. And another player who's, speaking of defenders, Thiago Silva was the player of the tournament. Another defensive performance, two defensive performances that were really good and i can't think of any player like in any sport that i followed the at least considering the teams i watch who has come to a team at the end of like near the end of his career but has been such a consistent performer and is like adored by the fans Thiago Silva happen a lot in other sports. So yeah, I'm I'm trying like, to think. Well, I'm trying to sports. think like hockey. No, I can't think of anyone. I get you could probably say Yager. Well, but, I mean, who knows? I mean, Yager just turned fifty. He's going to he just turn fifty until he's seventy-five. So people, you could also say, oh, Brady with the Bucks. I mean, that's yeah. I guess that's that's an obvious pick. He he won in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, but in other like football that. clubs, I can't really think of even when. I mean, Chelsea have signed aging veterans, like players who used to be good before, like Samuel Leto, but he was way past his prime. But Thiago Silva, I didn't think much. Like, oh, he's past his prime. Is defensive death. He's thirty six. He'll probably just stay here for a year. But no, he's become Chelsea's probably their best defender over the past couple seasons. And just putting in these world-class performances and shows no signs of slowing down. No, and he's staying uh, for, I mean, no, staying for another year, too. Yeah, a number of players that are playing into their late 30s and even uh, hitting that uh, that magic 40 number. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, changes in sports science, changes in uh, how players are managed, but 
it's not it's not as unusual as it once was. Yeah. I mean, most players, Thiago Silva's age, like John Terry left the club at 36 and went to play yeah. for Aston Villa, who were in the championship. And other, most players at that age, they go out to play in like the MLS. Yeah. I mean, that kind of was, uh, that was the, the go, go uh, going league for the, a long time, especially with uh, the larger VP contracts. You kind of get, you know, your payday for one or two years and then retire relatively well off. Now I think players are starting to look at other places within Europe, whether it's dropping down a league, moving to uh, maybe a, a less recognizable team uh, within their own league. I mean, I think players have options of what they want to do. And I think they're showing that they still have an ability to contribute at that level of their career. And I'm just seeing on r slash soccer on Reddit, Barcelona have offered Espelicueta a two-year deal to extend to a further season. But he hasn't made a decision yet. Well, Barcelona is also looking for uh, cheap deals right now, too. Yeah, so and they can, getting a they can pretty much sign him for free. And, but if this is the end for Espelicueta, even if he loses this year, he's gone down in history. to become. Oh, he's got to stay for one more year just to get his testimonial, right? Right, and should he deserves another Premier League. Same with Thiago Silva. And you know what? I will not deny you that. I'm just hoping it doesn't happen. And oh you know, yeah, you're all, of course. Weird are. magic happens, and uh, you know what? Well, you know, it's our due. It's 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 our oh, due. I mean, we're due too. It's been five years, and oh five for Roman Abramovich. That's not acceptable. <laughs> so Chelsea have Crystal. Don't Palace. talk to me about five years. Yeah, Crystal Palace and Lille in the Champions League are up next, and. Chelsea's one of Chelsea's loanies, Connor Gallagher's leading Palace in scoring, apparently. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about him like in a few minutes, but Palace are 13th in the Premier League table. And they have haven't won any of their last five games. The last two games have been draws, kind of struggling a bit. Have Patrick Vieira as their manager, but uh Chelsea should get back in the Premier League groove and yeah you could say oh easy win but there's no easy wins in the Premier League or or any sport yeah there's no such thing as an easy win Palace has always been a team uh I guess when you look at uh, various London-based clubs they're one of the teams that's always kind of struggled you know they yeah. they don't get the the headlines as say uh an Arsenal a Tottenham a Chelsea they or even say uh, West, West Ham yeah uh, they don't, I mean, their players, you, you, they try to build good teams with what they have available as their resources. That's always been a little bit difficult for them as well. But the thing is, is they have been consistently a Premier League club. They are a, a mid, mid lower to bottom mid. Table. Yeah. They, fight, they um, fought with relegation over the past few years, but they've managed to avoid the drop. They do it. I mean, there is, you know, you can compare them to, say, Fulham, who you know what, uh, in a similar situation, but they have been relegated. Crystal yeah, Palace has been always been able down. to stay up. Which is, I mean, Fulham is Chelsea's geographical rival, but it hasn't been a rivalry in like 50 years. No, no. Uh, a, a lot of those rivalries, I, you know, especially when you have a promotion and relegation within clubs, uh, it, it's sometimes interesting how enduring they can be. But uh, yeah, I mean, Crystal Palace, 
I I never expect them to go down. I always expect no. Them to I always right. expect them to be like tenth to fifteenth. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. And then there's Lille in the Champions League, first leg at Stamford Bridge. We all we all know about Lille and Jonathan David. Yep. They won their last match against Montpellier, one nothing. And they're playing Mets today. And Lille's like tenth in Ligue 1. Yeah, they're had not. Uh, they're struggling this year a little bit. They're struggling this year, but uh, Chelsea are the favorites, and I expect them to get the win or at least the draw. But I, I want the win against Lille, and I want guys like Lukaku to start scoring again. Well, I mean, he scored in the Club World Cup, but he needs to do it in all competitions. And let's get Timo Werner going again too. Like, get the attack going. They're defending well, but get the attack going. Maybe they should give Sartini a call. Yeah, he could. <laughs> could give Tuchel some pointers. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Axel, right? Axel Schuster used to work with, with Tuchel. Uh, at Schalke? He, I believe so. Because I saw an old That's pic- where he was, right? I believe so. Because I saw an old picture of Schuster in Germany. And who was with him? A young Thomas Tuchel. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, That's Max funny. sent me that a while back. That's pretty cool. And I, I think it was with, um, it was like, oh yeah, it was with, no, not with Schalke, it was with Mainz. Oh, okay. And Tuchel was the manager there for a number of years. Yeah, I, in that photo, I could barely recognize Tuchel. Well, he would have been, he would have been a baby almost. Yeah, he would have been much younger. He was much younger. Yeah. And yeah, again, just get, the attack going. So talking about Connor Gallagher and Amanda Broja or Broja, I'm unsure if that's the right pronunciation. But they're they've been doing well with Crystal Palace and Southampton, and they are scoring goals. Yeah. And which Chelsea again lack. Golf. And they the hope is to put them in the first team next season, though Gallagher is more likely. Because a partnership with Gallagher and Mount could really boost the attack, boost the creativity. Also, bringing in Declan Rice could help the the midfield. As, They're going to have to pay more. a pretty penny for him. Yeah, like ninety to hundred million is what he's valued at now. Apparently, well, it's because of uh, people like uh, Jack Grealish and how much he went for yep. last season. I mean, the the value of British based players it's never been higher. That is, yeah, that's right. And of course, Timo Werner and Lukaku have not been great up front this season, and Broja, yeah. 20 years old, it could finish. And maybe one, he could be that third striker or one of Werner or Lukaku goes out and Broja stays on the, becomes a regular on the first team. So either one of those options could work, but Broja is going to want more minutes. And Tuchel, uh, I assume, doesn't really want to have a third striker, but things, mentalities can change, especially. We still got a few months to go left in the season. And uh, I would love to see Broja and Gallagher on the squad next season. So Tottenham, 
lackluster effort against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a bit of a painful game to watch. It was, uh, I mean, several changes were made. Uh, Bentacor got his first start uh, in uh, the midfield. But uh, it was a game of, and not even defensive errors, unfortunately, of errors from Hugo Lloris. And we're talking about one of the best goalkeepers in the world, right? We're talking about the guy who captains the World Cup winning team, right? Right. But, you know, he just, you know, both goals, especially especially, uh, the one of them where he tried to punch the ball away, ended up giving it right away to to, uh, Deck Donker of, of Wolves. Uh, for the second goal, it just, it, it was kind of like a, a calamity of events to begin the first, uh, let's say 20 minutes of the game. And then when they were finally able to kind of retain their shape, they never got anything going. The thing with the, with Wolves is defensively, they've been a pretty good team this year. They've really shut other teams down. The strike against Wolves is they haven't really had much of an attack. Well, we gifted it to them. We gifted them two goals that, you know, six minutes and 18 minutes in, you know, if you get rid of your defensive and your goalkeeping errors could have been a different game, but this was just one that, you know, Spurs just weren't able to, to get going. And I don't know if it was because it was, you know, a, a midweek game. I don't know if it's because we're still missing a number of players. You know, Eric Dyer was still injured. We don't have an Oliver skip. Uh, and I mean, those are big names when Oliver skip plays Spurs win, right? He's been involved in every single, uh, win Spurs have had this year, I believe, except for one. So it just shows you how invaluable some of these players are when they're not there. Um, yeah. Um, it just, uh, I, you know what? It's not even a game you can really talk about because the game was over 18 minutes into it. It was just never one that Spurs were able to get in. They weren't able to make any any differences. It was nice to see uh, Bentecourt uh, get his first start. You know, that's always good. Uh, Kulevsky came on for the second half uh, with uh, taking over from Sessignon on the side to try and get some sort of attack. But it just, you know, uh, they came out with a bit more of an attack in the second half. But again, it's still, there was there was nothing there. The, uh, the, the good news is, is that Eric Dyer should be healthy for this weekend against Man City. So it does give them options with that back line. You know, you now have a healthy Dyer, you have a healthy uh, Romero. Those are two players that haven't been available uh, for the back line for a number of games. Uh, but it is uh, one of the things that's interesting in the storyline that has been brewing is what do you do with a player like Joe Rondon? Rondon came into the Spurs lineup uh, in the off season was kind of a bit of a surprise pick, but did impress people with how he trained and how he was able to, you know, kind of come in as a, a bit of a sub when, when required, but there's been talk that he's getting a little bit antsy. He wants the playing time. Uh, it sounds like uh, fans want to see what he can do because the rumor is, is he's starting to look elsewhere about where he can play because he wants to be able to be uh, playing day in, day out so that he can get noticed by his international side in Wales. Um, This is a very young guy. It's a a young player that I think could have a good opportunity to be a starter for for Spurs. 
but he's just not getting the start. So I don't know what is going to happen with him. Uh, a couple of the other storylines that are going on with, uh, with uh, Spurs right now. Um, Conte gave, uh, well, he gave his uh, interview to the Italian media, uh, to, uh, you know, his Lukaku interview, I guess, where he said that coming out of the January transfer window, Spurs are a weaker side than where they began. Now, he has since clarified saying that he was talking numerically, that they brought in two players, they got rid of four players, and he's actually accusing the media of trying to spin this into something that, you know, it's not. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of uh, funny that, again, this is a storyline that always has to do with Italian media. Um, they've also uh, been just talk about uh, whether or not Gareth Bale is going to be coming back to Spurs for a third time. Uh, yeah. We know. Uh, Bale is uh, a free agent at the end of this season with uh, Real Madrid. He hasn't really gotten a lot of playing time. He actually finally started a game last weekend. I think it was his first start in almost four, five, or six months. Um, now, he barely played been, from Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Spurs have been very, very quick to deny this, but you know what, it, it's one of those rumors that always sticks around. And the one thing that makes me wonder about this is even if they did try to take a look at Bale again, I don't know where he fits within a Conte lineup. Where does, where do you put a guy? Where do you put him? In a lineup that plays with wingbacks? I don't know where you put him because you're not playing him at wingback, obviously. No, you're not going to play him. Yes, I know he started as a left back, right? And I know that he can play that wing back, but he's a guy that you want to, if you're going to play him, you're going to want him because of what he brings to your team creatively and offensively. But you want him to come from this from the, the side of the pitch and come inside. That position doesn't really exist right now in the Spurs lineup under Conte. So as much as the nostalgia might be there for a bail, I don't see how it works. And I also don't see how it works when you have Sun Heung-min, you've got Lucas Mora, we just got Kovaleski. I don't, yeah, I mean, there's too many pieces where you put them in, you pretty much have to change the tactical framework to get the best out of them. So, yeah. And the Conte's like Italian interview, maybe it's a, he's just saying that he wants more players in the off season and says the squad is weaker because they're not ready to be at the top level. And they're not, not. they're not not. right. I mean, in the same interview, he gave Tottenham a 1% chance of uh, being in a champions uh, league uh, spot by the end of the season. And you know what, Uh, with Tottenham and, you know, their hot one game cold the next, you know, a 1% chance might actually be uh, flattering. (laughs) I, I want to see them improve on last year. Uh, I think it's uh, it's a it's got to be a Europa League spot or nothing. Yeah, but sure. you know, everyone hopes that it's it's a Champions League spot. But I, I just think there's too many strong teams in the Premier League this year to make it happen. Going back to Real Madrid news, uh, if we remember a couple of years ago, that's when Tottenham was uh, when uh, bought Sergio Regulon to be uh, their left back or left wing back. And you know what? He's quickly become a fan favorite. He's done really, really well in that position. But he came with a buyback clause. Tottenham, this is not something that Tottenham normally does. They don't put buyback clauses in players that leave or in players that come to the club. And this is something that could come back to bite Tottenham in the ass 
because Carlo Ancelotti has been telling the Real Madrid board he wants Regulon back. Now, the buyback clause was only good for two years, which means it has to be used this summer or it expires. If it is used, Tottenham will make a profit off uh, Sergio Regulon. They'll make about uh, 15 million pounds, I believe. But this is not a player that Tottenham wants to leave. And it's not a position that they want to have to go back and try and refill, you know, just uh, finding the solution to it two years ago. Uh, I don't know. I mean, right now, unfortunately, this is kind of out of Tottenham's hands. The buyout clause exists. If they, if, if Real Madrid wants to exercise it this summer, they are more than welcome to do so. I think it's going to fall on the player. What does Regulon want to do? Where does he want to play? And where does he feel the most at home? Tottenham has been trying very hev- heavily to make you know, Tottenham Hotspur way feel like home to Regulon. But I, I would not be surprised if the offer comes, if he is not wooed back to Real Madrid. Uh, culturally, it's a, it's a home base for him. Uh, it's, the, it's the same as his... Uh, as his uh, first language, uh, it's where he, it's where he, it's where he you know played his his younger uh, his young the at the younger stage of his uh, career. I just uh, it's I, I guess it's a bit of wishful thinking to hope that it doesn't actually uh, happen. Uh, other yeah, than that, you're gonna need uh, to replace him too. Sorry, like you're gonna need to replace him. You have to Conte replace plays him. with the wing backs, and he does well. And the only other player that Tottenham has that plays on the left side of the pitch is Ben Davies, and he is not a wingback. He's not a wingback by any stretch of the measure. He is defensive through and through. And he has found a home, similar to Jake Nowinski, as being a fullback that can play as a centre-back. He's but done he's not, relatively well. But he's not a, a wingback. He's not a wingback. There's no chance. No. And regularly on fixed. You can't even convert him into a wingback, like what they're trying to do with uh, Emmanuel Royale. That's yeah, already regular. showing. It's, it's an experiment that's not working. And if you have both of your wing backs that you're trying to convert at the same time, that's a disaster. Yeah, you gotta you gotta find a. It's hard to find a competent replacement. Well, the thing and the the reason why uh, the reason why uh, Carlo Ancelotti wants him back is because right now, uh, Real Madrid is dealing with a lot of injuries in that position, right? So they want to bring someone back in that can take care of it. Ferdinand Mendy is injured. Danny Carval is injured, right? I mean, they they need someone that can stand there. And they need someone that can stand there that does not get injured. Regulon's that guy. You know, he is a consistent player. And he's a guy that is hungry to play, right? He genuinely wants to be on that pitch. And he has the legs to run as a wingback, right? Like, the, the amount of crosses that he puts in, the amount of goals that he creates from his position... That's, that's the sort of guy you want. It's the sort of guy that Tottenham wants. And unfortunately, right now, it's the sort of guy that uh, Real Madrid wants as well. Uh, I think, uh, again, we, I think we, we know that this is going to be a very, very busy summer for Tottenham. This is going to be Conte's first summer with the club. He is going to want to make this club in his image. Regulon is a guy that already fits. So if they have to go and look for yet another player to fit uh, Conte's system, uh, that's going to be very, very difficult for them to do. And I don't know who you replace him with right now. Not with a young guy that is already working in that system. You need someone experienced. You do, especially since you have to worry about this position on the right side of the pitch, right? 
Right. So it's going to be an interesting one. For, uh, well, it's going to be an interesting problem that they have to solve. The other piece of news that's coming out right now, uh, Tottenham's already started to, to talk about their preseason for next year. They have named a tour for South Korea. Uh, this is not new for Tottenham. They were already there recently in 2017, and they've been there previously. I believe it was in 2006. Um, Tottenham is a team that has a lot of fans in Asia, and a lot of that has to do with a Sun Hyun Min in South Korea. We're talking about one of the uh, most... When Sun Hyun Min goes back to almost any country in Asia, it's, it's like the heyday of David Beckham traveling, right? He's got right. that popularity in that part of the world. Going to South Korea, you know what? It, it makes sense for them. It's uh, a place where they are welcomed. And uh, you know what? There's, it's, it's a nice trip. So you know what? Uh, it's nice, I guess, to have some of that business end already handled. But uh, hopefully that means that they can concentrate more on what they're going to do on the pitch rather than uh, Tottenham's board uh, favorite pastime of talking about what's going to happen off the pitch. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's obvious that, I mean, Sun Hyun Min is basically a, a rock star in South Korea. Oh, he is. Well, the thing, like, if you remember back, like, in South Korea, you have a mandatory two years military service. Yep. When, when Sun Hyun Min's time was coming up, there were tens of thousands of people that offered to take his place. Right? Like, that is right. his popularity. Yeah, almost as big as a K-pop star. Yeah, pretty much, right? I mean, it's very much uh, at that level of notoriety and of of uh, a positive notoriety. Like he is a player that people genuinely love. So, and yeah, I, very I, like. I mean, I'm I'm no guy. different. He's the guy that I want on my Spurs team day in and day out because the the guy's an absolute workhorse. He's world class. He's creative, and you know he he's adopted the ethos of of Tottenham Hotspur. So. Yep, for sure. So Champions League action back on their way over the past few days. Yeah, games nice to see that coming back. Yep, good game with PSG against Real Madrid. PSG really were attacking for most of the game, and looks like uh, the snake Thibaut Courtois was going to win man of the match, but Mbappe scored a pretty nice goal like in the dying minutes. Yeah, was he scoring a goal to put himself in, uh, in the window of his uh, new employers for next year? Yeah, and Good first impression. Yeah, I don't think he's got to worry about that. I, I think one of the things that's interesting, and uh, we can talk about it right now, is uh, PSG do not want to let this player go. They are working so hard. Rumor is is that they're actually readying a contract that could be almost up to a million pounds a week to keep Mbappe. Okay. It would be the, the richest contract in the history of football is what they're talking. And that's just the base salary. That's not including bonuses. So, I mean... I don't know. I don't know if it's enough to keep him, but uh, I don't know. But Mbappe can do whatever he wants in this offseason. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Real Madrid's his dream club and scores against. I feel like it's inevitable that he's going to go there and he scored against his future employers. And uh, like PSG, um, they want to do everything they want to do to keep him. They should have been, they've had the last like two years to do that. Yeah, and I, I mean, they have tried at different uh, points of uh, Mbappe's contract to get him to sign an extension or to sign a brand new contract. But Mbappe has always just said, I'm going to wait to the summer. I'm going to wait to the summer. So 
you know, he, he is, he's, a, he's being allowed to become the, uh, the controller of his own destiny. So uh, I think it'll be an interesting storyline for this. I think, I think he's, he's definitely pretty, pretty much gone to Madrid. Uh, I hate to say it. I do too. I, I don't know. I, I have a bit of a, a love hate relationship when it comes to, to real Madrid, but uh, I mean, they're, they're a good team that does in my mind, better business than than their rivals with Bar- than Barcelona. So They're broke. Yeah. And Barcelona in the Europa League. Yeah. Who would have thought? Would have thought five years ago. Well, you know what? Uh I, I think they're gonna take it seriously. I, I think you know there's still the expectation of Barcelona fans that you have to win something every single year. And I yeah. think uh, the trivial manner of being absolutely broke doesn't matter. And they, I mean, trophies are pretty much everything for Barcelona. Yeah, they are right. If you're not winning trophies, you're, you're, you're what are you doing? Being, like? uh, chased out by pitchforks and torches. Yeah. And Liverpool and Inter played a good match. Um, it was very like first half Liverpool were controlling the play. Second half, it was Inter. And, but, Virgil van Dijk showed, showed why he's one of the best defenders in the world. Made some good defensive plays. Got, I believe, got the assist on the second goal, which was scored by Monsala. And Roberto Firmino scored the first one off a corner. You know what? It, this wasn't a cakewalk for Liverpool either, right? It wasn't. I mean, it, was, it was a game they had to work, work for. But the, the interesting thing is, if you look at the, uh, the media before this game, they were writing off uh, Inter uh, as uh, they were going to get absolutely slaughtered, right? Like they were talking about the differences between, you know, the Premier League and Serie A. Uh, Inter is a team that can't play, you know, they do great domestically. They can't play on the European stage. I don't see Italy as this, you know, farmer's league that other people seem to to look at them as. Some teams, but not all. They're not playing at the highest, highest, highest levels, but you know what? Don't expect to win just by going into their stadium, right? Or, yeah, and Inter played well, well for like a good 60-70% of the game. Did a lot better than I thought. Yeah. Um, you know, good play to them. Uh, they, uh, I mean, well, I mean, last year they, they had a great season, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's no such thing as an easy game, especially at this level of the Champions League. I mean, we're basically you know, uh, a hair away from uh, the quarterfinals already. The teams that are here deserve to be here. And Man City absolutely slaughtered sporting. It was a, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised I won, but it should have been. I didn't expect it to be like five, nothing after the first leg. Yeah. I mean, Man I City is just, they're such a dominant team. And uh, I mean, I mean, I know uh, Guardiola always talks about other teams, and he's gracious to other teams. Even now, he's saying that the Premier League is not over, and that Liverpool, you know, will still be challenging. I mean, to me, they're right now. There's no more dominant team than Man City, yeah. and that goes for the world. Yeah, there's just, even without a natural striker, it's so dominant. I know, but I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think that has to go down to, first of all, they have the resources to get what they want, but they also don't go crazy. 
You know, yeah. like, yes, uh, Jack Grealish might be a bit of an outlier, but they didn't go for Grealish and Kane, right? Where, you know, another team that had that those resources may have. I, yeah, I, I don't see them slowing down. In the, no, in the they're not slowing future. down. If Guardiola does decide to leave at the end of his contract, well, then there's going to be an interesting decision for Man City to make. And I don't know what that decision is going to be yet. But as long as they keep Guardiola, they have the individual that is the face of that club, right? And he, and he, he, he forms it to his will. Yeah, and he's a, he's a tactical visionary, and no, and he wants to build the best squad. It's gonna be interesting if he does leave. But Man City, they've got a great midfield, and great wingers, and that's pretty much the reason why their attack is so good, even without yeah. a natural striker. Yeah, absolutely. And then for Bayern, their undefeated Champions League streak ends with a draw against RB Salzburg, but Davies was back for them after recovering from Mayo Cardardis. Yeah, he has started training with them again. Uh, and, you know, like he's, uh, he's getting back into contention. This is really, really good because earlier, uh, Nagelsmann, uh, who uh, manages and coaches over there, had said they actually expected Davies not to come back for the rest of this entire season, right? Uh, myocardi- sorry, myocarditis is nothing that you want to take lightly. And yeah. to, be, to, to the credit of the team, they, they weren't taking it lightly. They were going to give Davies whatever time he needed to recover 100%. I, I think taking the pressure off of him probably helps in that situation. Totally. And myocarditis, though it's rare, but it's something that should be taken seriously. It is. And, I mean, this is also uh, coming off. Uh, it's one of the, the lingering effects of when he was uh, suffering from uh, COVID-19. Yeah, that's, um, we know that it is one of the one of the kind of lingering effects that can the rare happen. rare effect, but yeah, but it does so, happen. I mean, I take a look at happens. my my own team when it comes to the NHL and uh, and uh, the Oilers. They had two players that ended up with it, so it it can happen. But just to give you an idea of how much better um, Bayern is when Alfonso Davies is in the lineup, their goals per game is better. Their goals yeah. against is better. Their win percentage with Davies is over 83%. Without Davies, it's 71, right? Yeah. I mean, he does make that team consistently better. And also he's just entertaining to watch, right? Like he's just fun to watch. Yeah, and speedy, left back, makes some good passes and crosses. Very smart player too. And very smart player. Bayern's and, attack uh, is a to lot. have that level of intelligence at that young, it's, I mean, I, I, I say Davies is young, but I mean, he's been playing as a professional for years already. But I, in, in my mind, he's still that, you know, that 16-year-old boy uh, putting on the Whitecaps shirt. Yep. And Byron's attack looks more, more creative. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think some of these weird uh, anomalous games that they've had in the past couple of weeks – those are going to go away now that they have a bit more uh, stability. And before we wrap up, uh, wrap up some some news here. Canada's World Cup qualifying match against Jamaica on March 27th will be in Toronto. Well, of course, yep. Vancouver got snubbed again. We always hope, and we get our hopes yeah. up. One day yeah. they will come back, but I will not promise that. 
and BC Place got a new turf too. Yeah, they did. And also, we should talk about uh, uh, Premier John Horgan of uh, of uh, the province has said that Vancouver is again back in the running to be a host city for, for the, the 2026 World Cup. That we're not guaranteed, but he did say that certain uh, guarantees were were given and uh vancouver has again put their name forward as being uh, a host city yeah and just speaking of uh the work of qualifying i guess it's they put it toronto because of the travel time you know what that happens a lot yeah i mean toronto is always picked i mean not only for travel time you know it's it's an outdoor stadium they can fit a lot of players in there but uh I, Throw us a bone. <laughs> at least give us one World Cup qualifying game. And back to yeah, what Horgan no said. I mean, it, the tourism industry has really taken a hit over the past few years, and that could really boost up the tourism industry again. Yeah. Anyway, well, it would be a very, very short trip for Jermaine Brown, who plays for Jamaica. Oh, yeah, that too. And for the World Cup, like we, we've hosted the Women's World Cup, and Vancouver hosted the final yeah. And why, why can't we host the men's World Cup as well? Yeah. And you know what? It, was a, it was a brilliant spectacle. Uh, it, was a, it was a great show when the Women's World Cup was hosted in, in Canada. And also, like you said, the final in BC. Yeah. I well, wish the U.S. didn't win it on our, on our turf, well, but it was still, yeah. still a great spectacle. Yeah. We, we were still a, a work in progress at that point. Yes. And I'd love to see the World Cup back here. Great for the tourism industry. Great for us, like media people, more opportunities, and great for the fans too. Great for the fans. I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, you would, you would, you would sell out BC Place in a heartbeat. Like even if Canada isn't playing, like imagine the world's best players on BC Place is the perfect. the absolute spectacle of it. I mean, why would you not want to be there just just to say I was? It's like how people still talk about 2010 and the Olympics. Yeah, like oh. Uh, I was, people were saying, oh, I was in the arena when Crosby scored the golden goal. Yeah. I wasn't. I was across. Uh, I, was across uh, I wasn't. I was here. I was, but uh, I, I heard it. <laughs> I mean, I was in, was at downtown during the Olympics and it was quite the time. Yeah. Actually, uh, I was living downtown. I was living at the time just off of uh, where uh, Granville Street, where, uh, you know, basically it turned into a street party. So every night we would be out there. It, it was, uh, it was just fun and enjoyable. It felt safe. Like everyone was having just a fun time. And uh, yeah. I, I, I would like to bring that back to the city. Yeah, for the World Cup too. That, that could bring some of that vibes. And there's also exactly. talks of Vancouver hosting the 2030 Winter Olympics. So it's an indigenous-led bid too. You know what? There's, there's talk about it. And uh, I know uh, one of the bids for 2030, I think it was a joint bid I want to say it was a joint bid, like Ireland, Scotland or something like that. Or, but anyway, they just pulled out. So, you know what? You know, if Vancouver makes it, there's one less competitor. Yep, for sure. So that'll end this week's episode. You can follow me uh, twi- on Twitter at JoshRay91. Nathan is at, at Enduric. Terminal City FC is the Twitter handle. Same for Instagram and Facebook. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And hope... You check out the rest of the Area 51 podcast. It's been great. Hope you enjoyed the show. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. So, Nathan, any final thoughts? 
Not right now. I'm just waiting for uh, for, the, for the ball to drop uh, for the first Whitecaps game. Yep. Can't wait to talk some Whitecaps for the rest of the spring, summer, and hopefully deep into the fall, too. Absolutely. So that concludes this week's episode. See you next. We'll hope you'll tune in next week. Peace out. Take care.